He's on your side. He's coming after you. He's relentless. God loves you. He's on your side. He is coming after you. And he is relentless. I want to say good morning to all of our campuses. This morning is this one we have here. Good morning, everyone. And just so thankful you're here this morning and excited to be a part and be back in the pulpit. And so thankful for the team we have here over this last month, hearing the word shared. God has, God has put together an awesome team and uh, a little intimidated to get back up here now uh, after listening to everyone preach. I've got to say something here real quick. Uh, and I know this won't be on later because you didn't hear Joy pray, but I just, uh, Joy, I want to say something to you. A few weeks ago, two weeks ago today, I was in Payson, and I'd come out of Safeway, and those of you who know Payson a little bit, I'd come out of Safeway, sitting in my truck, and, and I look up, and it's like 4.30 in the afternoon, and I see somebody walk in. I thought, well, it looks like Joy Field. I, like, I didn't say Joy Field. It looks like Joy. And she went on in, and Jan got in the truck, and I told her, and, and I said, man, they, I said, you know, they say you have a twin somewhere, they, you know, that kind of stuff, and go, that, that had, must have been Joy's. What I didn't know was Joy's on her way to pick up Paul up at Pine Top for their last, in some ways, last ride home. But Joy, I want to say this. This is what I want you to hear clearly. There's no other Joy Fields. I've watched your life and watched your kids' lives. I've watched you over these last two weeks, and I've watched you for maybe a decade or so. I will never mistake somebody else for Joy Fields. You are the only Joy Fields. And we are thankful that you're a part of us. And those who don't know, three of her kids are up here almost every Sunday, volunteering, leading, and Joy. That's because you made a choice. And, and we're just so thankful, and for Paul, obviously, but just want you to know, uh, we see you. I saw you, didn't know it, but, uh, but uh, never make that mistake again. Series right now is Make Room. Just starting, uh, excited about preaching this series. I hope you are by the time you're, I hope you're excited as, excited as I am once we finish it over the next few months, or next few weeks, I mean, by the end of this month, that, that we've made room. Isaiah 54 is where we're going to take a passage of Scripture, and sometimes I was telling Jan even early this morning, we're out uh, just real early talking about it, and she goes, what are you preaching on today? Are you ready? I go, well, I'll, find, I'll tell you later whether I was or not. Uh, but what I do know is, I said, you know, it's funny sometimes when you take a passage of Scripture, you just kind of pull it out and go, well, that fits the series I'm working on. You know what I'm saying? Just go, well, that, that works. You're not trying to take it out of context. You're not trying to mislead people. You're not trying to, you know, uh, you know hey, look over here at this and, or build even a whole theology around it. You're just going, okay, that makes sense. So as I was looking at it again this morning, I went back and I read Isaiah 52, 53, and looking at 54, 55, 56, and looking at 57, 52, 53 is about, of all things, Isaiah predicting 700 years in, in, in the future. 
Can you imagine like George Washington going in 1776 or whatever it was, said, you know, in 1996, Bob Doe and Bill Clinton, they're going to go head to head. Bill Clinton's going to win that one. There's going to be a scandal, but this is all going to happen. Bill's going to go through the... We think, no, George Washington didn't do that. But Isaiah, seven centuries before, is going to say there's a promise that's about to be fulfilled. It's actually a promise that really comes out of Genesis 3, going, yeah, 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 yes, yeah, yes, serpent. You had your day today, but there's coming a day where one will crush you. So in Isaiah 53, he describes what that looks like. Isaiah 54, 55, 56, if you will, are really more about kind of the promise or this is what's presented to you. So in 52, 53, mission accomplished. 54, 55, 56, will you apply it? 57, will you reject it? That's what it's like, right, when a promise comes. You can either apply in Scripture to apply that promise to your life and begin to live into it, or what else do you do? Just reject it. So this morning's message is make room for a promise. But Isaiah 54, 2 says this, enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. But I love the message here. Clear out lots of ground for your tents. In other words, if you begin to apply this promise, you need to begin to think a little bit bigger. Bigger than what you you, you maybe thought up to this point. Make your tents large, spread out, think big. Use plenty of rope. Drive those tent pegs deep. Scripture's full of promises. John 10, 10. The thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus says, I have, make, I have come that you may have life and live it abundantly. Have that life that is so overwhelming what you thought it could be. You are not thinking big enough. Didn't Jesus deal that with, even like with the disciples? They go, oh, Jesus is going to come and take over, right? He's just going to come. He's just going to come and get us out of this bondage with Rome. He's going to show Rome, you know, what they, 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 they've been messing around with this way too long. We're about to bring the hammer down. No, they weren't thinking big enough. No, you're going to change the history of the world. You're not thinking big enough. You're thinking, let's just change this location because we don't like living under bondage. We're going to be in charge. No, you're changing the history of the world. Jesus had to get their thinking bigger. Ephesians 3, 20, 21. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine according to to his power at work within us. Has to be applied, doesn't it? To him be glory in the church in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, intergenerational for 
ever and ever. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life, eternal life. But he did not send his son of the world to condemn the world, but he sent his son of the world to save it. It's a promise. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And one reason we can stand on the promises of God is because of the nature of God. He can't go back on his promise. You ever just needed something you could stand on? Clarity. I just need to stand on this. I just need to know that's not moving. As many things that are moving, I got to know that's not moving. When we step into the promises, make room for the promises. Have you ever made a promise that has totally stretched you? You knew when it was coming out of your mouth, you're in trouble. It made it so uncomfortable that everybody around you almost got uncomfortable. 2016, we had been talking about writing, uh, doing a series or, or, or a training on Uncommon. We had talked about it. And I had thought about for years and years about writing devotionals for, for that. And then so I just said in staff meeting one day, I'm going to write 35 devotionals for Uncommon. Had no clue what I was going to write. There was no outline. But there is something about saying it out loud. And we can talk more about Uncommon another week. And many of us know when the circumstance, the situation requires a consequential, serious promise, a commitment in that moment that this is what I'm about to do and this is what I'm going to commit to. As a father, I did not realize when I took on the responsibility of being a dad what all that meant. Matter of fact, I, I, there was, I didn't, you know, I knew, okay, you, you maybe have a home for them, you make sure they don't have to starve, they don't starve and keep them out of traffic, those kind of things. But what it was really going to take, I had no clue. And what I didn't know when Sydney was born, our first baby was born, maybe you've heard this story before, what I didn't know was it was going to transform my life. What I didn't know was by that baby being birthed into my home that now I felt I had a responsibility that I didn't know I had before. It didn't even, didn't even register to me that she's now somehow another need to be raised right. So I started attending church with Jan, and, and, and so we did that. And as soon as, as soon as I began to attend church, I realized I had an enormous responsibility. I needed to make a commitment to an almighty God, but also to my spouse. 
also to that little baby. What I didn't know was, eight months later, she would now be dealing with what we didn't know at the time. We thought it was an aneurysm in her left eye. Her eye was closed. And we ended up in, in, in hospital in, in Little Rock, uh, uh, Phoenix Children's Hospital, I mean Phoenix, Little Rock Children's Hospital in, in Little Rock, Arkansas. And we get there. And at that point, I am thinking of all things, Lord, just save her, just save her. And I'm making this deal. Lord, if you will save her and you will heal her, I'll do what? Whatever you ask. I mean, how many of you ever made that? Maybe not on that specific, but you go, if you'll do this, I'll do that. But after a few days there, I was prompted to walk down the hallway. And as I was walking, I was having this conversation with the Lord. And I said, Lord, I know I told you the other day, if you'll heal Sydney, I'll do whatever you ask. But I've changed my mind. Whether you heal her or not, I'll do whatever you ask. I didn't know that two weeks later I'd be called to preach, which never, if anybody knew me, was so far off the chart. It's not even funny. Let's quit laughing. No, I can't tell Dan that. I know Dan's going to laugh no matter what. You don't always know. We, we, so many of us want this, this certainty. If I make this promise, then I'll have certainty and this is the way it'll play out. What all you really need is clarity of what the promise is and uncertainty you leave up to God. We're so often afraid to make that commitment, so often afraid to make that step out because we're not sure how it's all gonna play out. When we've already know we've heard it, Can you imagine the disciples when Jesus ascends? But before he does, he just, leaves, he just drops the mic on them in this sense. You will be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses to Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What? I don't even understand what all that means. Ends of the earth, what is that, like 10 miles out, 20 miles out, 30 miles out? What's the end of this earth? What, what does that mean? There's no plan. But there's clarity. They didn't even know what the Holy Spirit was, really. That just comes a few weeks later. So they don't have that at this point. But they got a promise. And they had to apply it. They had to step into it. Ten years ago, we came here to start Renovation Church. We didn't know it was called Renovation Church. Actually, we didn't, literally, we did not know what the name was going to be. It was built more church than Azram, sitting in this room right here. But fortunately, over time, it became this, right? Renovation Church was birthed with a concept of influence. And we realize, we realize then, as I told the board back then, what God has put in our heart, it does not have an address. 
Wherever he sends us, that's where he sends us. We're not looking for necessarily a place. We're looking, we're looking for God has what he has birthed in our heart to be applied. We know what the commitment was. We know the clarity of it. We know the promise he's made us. But now we just, we don't know all the rest of it. We don't have an address right now. But if somewhere along the way, those two things intersect. Somewhere along the way, what God is doing in you, in you guys and what God is doing in us, they intersect. Let's talk again. I'm thankful we talked again. To raise up influencers through spiritual transformation, to be salt and light, where we or they are engaged and influential. To raise up influencers, disciples, witnesses, whatever you want to call there, but we call it influencers. To be salt and light, but through spiritual transformation, to be salt and light, where we're engaged and influential. See, we are convinced in this radical optimism that we were created for more than just barely getting into heaven and skipping hell. We believe that we were created to go, we believe that in this transformation that takes us back to what they call the primitive, Wesley would say the primitive health, what we were designed to be in the first place. This radical optimism that there is no cap, there is no limit on what God can do. Now you can limit it, you can cap it. And we are convinced when people reach a point where they realize with conviction that the power and authority they walk in has no rival because the God they serve has no rival, we believe they begin to act different. We, begin to, we believe they begin to live different. We believe that true Christianity is living this out in such a way that they use that power not to manipulate or intimidate others, but to serve them and to promote their good and to promote the good of the culture around them. As Josiah talked about last week, listen to Andy Stanley this week at Global Leadership Summit. I believe, Romans 1, 17 says, you know, 16 says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Romans 17 says, the righteous shall live by faith. And I love what Aaron McManus says, as he interprets this, says, says, the righteous shall thrive in unpredictable change. This is the time we thrive. This is the night time. Uncertainty is the time where the church can shine. Uncertainty is not the time where the church gets back here and tries to figure out a way to step back and hide. Uncertainty is the time the church should be stepping into because there's a void. And Scripture tells us when there's a void, if the right things, the righteousness and the Spirit don't step in, something else is going to. And sometimes it's seven times worse. I think that's what Scripture says. If we're waiting for that void to be filled somewhere else, we're in trouble. Because it will be filled. And it may be way worse than everything, anything you've ever seen. Just watch over the last 30 or 40 years, are things getting worse? Because voids are being filled where they should be filled by the church and by the Spirit? Well, of course they are. It's very scriptural. And our hope as a church, I'm going to go back to some of my notes from October 2012 when we met in that fellowship hall. 
for about four months as we were remodeling all this and that group was, that was in there. We were making some promises. And I sometimes wonder if we've really leaned into those promises fully. I think there are times we really have and other times it's like, okay, I, I'm so uncertain right now. Should we change course because people are leaving here and this is not happening and that's not happening? But here's the deal about a promise and a conviction and a value that can't change. How you go about it can, but that part of it can't. And when you begin to question and have clarity of the promise that you know you drove the stake down that we talked about, or you drove the stake deep and says, this is what we're dying on right here. And you begin to make compromises, then you look up and people go, well, wait a second. I come here because you guys do cool music, nice lights. I like the people. Decent preaching. Really good when other people are doing it. And you come here because of what we do. I want to challenge you, if you're going to be a part of renovation, you come here because of why we do it. We believe that God has called each one of us to be unbelievable influencers for the kingdom. It starts small, can grow out big. I love just hearing just stories from us being at Global Leadership Summit just these last few days. And, and I won't say who it is, I don't want to embarrass them or anything. But for them to walk away from that going, they realize sitting there, I am a leader. Every one of us are influencers. And spiritual transformation for us, as you well know, and I'll say it like I've said it a hundred times here at this church, it's like a farmer planting a seed. You figure out what's the best time of year to do it. You know what right soil to put it in. You know when to till the soil. You know when to fertilize. You know when to water. You know when to do all those things. But there's one thing you can't make it do. You can't make it grow. But what you can do is give the best conditions for it to grow. And that's what we want to be here at Renovation. We're never going to try to do what only God can do. But we want to give the best conditions for what God wants to do, He can do by us helping remove the hurdles and the noise and the clutter that's in our lives. And I realize I have to be Kurt Gentry. And the people who jump on board as a staff and things on that line have the same bent. Not By no means are we the same. But we have the same bent. As we want you to live into everything you were created to be. And anything that distracts us from that or takes us away from that, we have to really examine hard before we do it. And know how to reject that. Because one of the things I know about me is the thing that burns in me is to, and, and I heard this again the last few days, I don't want to refer so much to that, but one of them was, you know, talking about writing a book or doing a training or whatever. What is it you personally would say, I need this. I, this answered a question for me. This is, and, and you would go, want to go 
participate in it. That's how Uncommon came about in renovation is because it's such a passion for me, but I also know it took a lot of years for me to get there. So how can we shorten the curve for other people? How can we shorten the curve of people living into their gift mix and living into their sacred pathway and living into their, their, their string finders and living into their Enneagram, if you want to go there, or living into those? How do we shorten that curve so people can get there faster? They don't have to wait 30 years to go, oh, oh that's what it was. With Jesus always being the center of every bit of it. But this is what I know. I'm 62 years old. Hard to believe that I made it this far. As Mickey Mantle said, if I'd known I was going to live this long, I'd taken better care of myself, right? <laughs> I'm not interested in spending the rest of the years of my life trying to lead merely interested people. Just not. Now, you may only be merely interested when you come in. You're welcome. But we'll be an annoyance to you if you only stay merely interested. We want you. We want people to walk through this door who have never heard of Jesus Christ. But I also don't want to walk in here every week with a room full of people saying, just give me enough fuel to get through the next week. What I want to do and what I hope to do and what our desire to do at Renovation Church is, is that we introduce people to the fire that they've never knew existed, the Holy Spirit, through the, for the, obviously through the, our Lord Jesus Christ, but to pour fuel on the fire that's already burning in you because you've been out there living it each week. And all we're doing is just throwing a little more gasoline on it because it's already burning bright. We're just throwing a little more on it. But if we're just trying to reignite people every week and that's our job, I'm not interested in that if that's all it is. So for some of you, this church won't be your church. And we're okay with that. It's hard to say. When you're measured by numbers and measured by income and you're measured by a lot of other things, this won't be everybody's church. But I do know this, and I know Brandon and Adrian have been visiting some churches around too. There's some great churches around here. And we're not trying to get you to go there necessarily. But we are going to challenge you here to live into the fullness of what God's called you to do. And we're going to do it week after week after week. And then we're going to find ways for you to get into that lane faster and shorten the curve for you. Why am I so blunt about this may not work for you? Because I love you. Because I'm for you. And if this doesn't work for you, it also helps us if you're going, if you're in this sense. What's worse than people leaving your church? People who have left but stay. Who more of a negative than, a, than an encouragement. But I am not trying to run you off. Sure sounds like it, Kurt. There's one thing I'm convinced of. If you're going to live a life of great influence, there will be a point 
where you'll have to make significant promises to others, significant promises to yourself, and most of all, significant promises to God. You will have to, to be a great influencer. You can't just go, well, that does, I'm not going to apply that. I'm not going to apply that promise. I'm not going to listen to what God says there. You know, a church is a great place to hide. Because you can do the drill. And we're thankful that you do some of the drill because we may not have enough volunteers. Thank you for that. But you can do the drill and hide. Churches are great places to hide. I want to encourage you, if you've got a, you do have a calling on your life, don't hide from it. Because promises that many of us need to begin to make is not just receive the promises that are made to us through Scripture, but in turn make big promises. We need to make room for promises. We need to begin to make room and clear the clutter and make room for significant, consequential promises. You know who I lie to the most about, I break promises to the most? Not to Jan. If I, if I commit to something, I'm going to try to do it. If I commit to you, I'm going to try to do it. I, I break most of them to me. How many of you have ever done this? I'm going to make a commitment. I promise myself that in two months, I'm going to lose the 10 pounds I need to lose. And in two months, I only have 15 pounds to go. Anybody ever done that? Oh, I know you're out there. (laughs) But why are we so easy to break promises to ourselves? Just think it, because I'm dealing with it in my own life. For some reason, we think the situation to make a promise to ourselves or make a commitment to ourselves to do this or that. And obviously we need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to do some of them, but some of them are just a simple choice. If I make a promise to Jen, it just seems like when I make that promise, I know there's consequences if I don't follow through with it. But for some reason in my mind, when I make a promise to myself and I don't follow through with it, I don't think there's any consequences. Because I can just skate on those. But some of the promises you need to start making are to yourself and begin to keep those. It has so much to do with your spiritual journey. Then you'll be able to help even make greater promises to the people around you. One of the tough parts about making promises is exclusion, right? I mean, you guys may remember October 12th, 1985, it's national world news. I said yes to Jan and no to four billion other women in the world. (laughs) Big news. But seriously, to make that enormous commitment, I had to say no to a lot of other things. And I still do. In the sense that, as a father, I may have to say no to my free time that I used to have. 
I may have to say no to the way I spend my money now. I may have to say no because I've made such a big commitment that it has consequences if I don't do it. One of the things about constraints and making a choice that clarifies the path way better, you don't get distracted by a lot of Matter of fact, those constraints may be your stepping stones to getting to exactly where you need to get to, to following after God with all your heart. One of the reasons we use this ladder, if you've seen, again, a hundred times on this stage, maybe more, What I love about this ladder is not only as God calls us, he causes us to stretch. Again, if you've never seen it, we believe this, at the foot of the cross, the ground is level. Nobody comes above the other one. We all come. There's no caste system here. But when God begins to work in your life, he begins to stretch you. And you have a choice when he stretches you to whether apply it or decline it. And he stretches you and his stairs are way different than these right there, like three or four feet. I mean, you're having to stretch. And you get to that next step and you get good and solid. Mesquite, you know what also happens? I've got to stretch again, but guess what? This time I have to stretch. I'm going to have to leave some things behind because I can't carry them with me. Because where I'm going, I can't take that with me. I have to make room for other things that God may put in there, but I can't take that with me anymore. I have to exclude. I have to get rid of it. When you accept Jesus Christ, you now have declined all other gods. Very clear. I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but through me. You've now made that decision. But when you go to that next step and you begin to follow and you begin to climb 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 and God keeps moving you, God keeps moving you, God keeps moving you and takes you to where what? He tells you to stand where it says don't stand. But what's so awesome about the way he does it and my belief is and why I love the stepladder is that it gets narrower along the way. Your focus, other things have to fall off. You can't take that with you anymore because where he's taking you Where he is taking you, that can't go. But then he puts it back, something else back in. And the crazy thing about it is, yeah, you and I will make some of the same promises. Some are kind of standard. But most of these promises are individual for your unique situation. The commitments you're going to need to make. The promises first is to believe in the promises that Jesus has already stated. To believe in those, really genuinely believe in those. That he will never leave you or forsake you. To believe in that, to really genuinely have that down in the, in the depths of your soul, drive the stakes deep. Really, truly believe that's a case. So in uncertain times, you know you've got that. You may not know how all this is going to unfold, but you know that. Then you need to begin to start making promises, I'd say first to yourself. 
begin to sit down and go, what promises, what big commitments? Because I believe the life of influence and a life of making any difference in the world is a series of small and large commitments that you keep. Promises. There is something, and I'm going to say this to some of you. You need to say it out loud. You need to tell somebody. You need to write it down. You need to put it on your mirror in the morning. You need to have that there, but there's something about taking one from your head and it comes out of your mouth that's a game changer. You need to make room for some new promises. Can you imagine living a life that Jesus promised in John 10, 10? Can you imagine living a life, the abundant life? That you think less about what you're about to eat for lunch, which some of you are already thinking. What I'm going to do this Friday night, like binge watch on Netflix that you actually spend more of your time in life thinking about he's created me for more man look what he's up to man that church there is helping me figure this thing out I love my church because not only are they point me to Jesus, they're pointing me to other people because now I have skill sets and things to do that I never thought I had. I didn't, they didn't discover all that. What if, you, what if you really begin to say more of your conversation and you hung out with people who begin to have conversations against, man, where are you going? What's God doing in your life? What's new happening now? How are you, how's that thing working? I know last week when we talked, this is what was going on in your life. Man, how did that work out this way? Can you imagine the conversations in the morning with your spouse, if you have one, where it's talking about those kind of things? Instead of just trying to make it through the day. And some of you, I'm sure the only thing you've heard this morning is Pastor Kurt said, don't watch Netflix. That's not what I said, but I will say that I don't have, to, I don't have time to explain what I didn't mean by that. But what if you lived a life, an abundant life, made a commitment and a promise to yourself, I'm going to think a lot more about this because of the promise that was made to me in Scripture and the promise that I'm living out in my life every single day. That a God, call me by name, call me out. We're talking about the mercy rushing over. I think of the Apostle Paul saying, I was once of a blasphemer, persecutor, and a violent man, but God poured out his mercy on me. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, therefore, in view of God's mercy, brother, offer yourselves as living sacrifice. That is, you're, you're, you're reasonable. You're reasonable. It's the least you can do, act of worship. Who is that person you need to make a promise to? Maybe to God. Maybe to the Lord Jesus Christ just going, man, we're in this together. But I need to be clear. i got to have you on board. 
I need you to make this commitment to me. Not just for salvation, that's great, but for transformation. You truly are going to ask, Lord, if you show it to me, I'll try to apply it. Maybe it's to a group of people. Maybe some of them are just to yourself. But I do believe this. And I think this applies to the church. Applies to Renovation Church. Applies to us as Christians. Applies to us as fathers and, 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 and husbands and mothers and, 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 and wives. If we don't live into the promises that we've already made and the promises we should make, people really don't care what we say. They just want to watch what we're doing. And then what we, the promises we should have done and the promises we're not doing, when that gap gets too large, people stop listening. Church? When we know what we should do in this world and we say it, but we don't do it, when that gap gets large enough, guess who quits listening? Parents? Husbands? When what you know, what you know, not just what Pastor Kurtz, what you know, what you're convicted of, what you know you should make a promise for, you know what you're required to do, you're just not applying it. When you know it, and you're not doing it. When that gap gets large enough, large enough, your kids quit listening. Your spouse quits listening. Doesn't mean they left. They just quit listening. There's some big promises we need to be making. I wish that it was easier. I wish for you, because I think some of the radical steps that we're going to have to make to be what God's called us to be, they're radical because if they were easy, you'd already done them. There's some radical things at one time that seemed radical to you that you're now doing, following after Jesus, but now seem the norm. God's going to challenge you with a new radical. I'm not sure what that is, because we're all coming in here from different walks of life, and I can't tell you what exactly you need or promises you need to make today. But I am convinced of this. To be great influencers for the kingdom especially, we're going to have to make some big promises. And do everything we can to live into them. Lord, help us right now as we now transition, if you will, Lord, into a time of reminding ourselves of the greatest promise fulfilled. And that is you on the cross. Whew. Lord, we have filled our lives up with information, with distractions, with stuff. 
it's almost like when you were birthed, no room at the end, <laughs> no space here for new promises, no space here for transformation, no space here because I'm already full of these other things. And Lord, we know today as we come we don't fill those things with your spirit then ultimately commitments that move us forward that begin to help us walk forward they'll be filled with stuff that'll weigh us down that'll cause us anxiety and it will cause us Lord it may be just gathering more things that next thing to gather that next thing to buy, that next thing to get to. And you get there and it's like, yeah, I've got to find another next thing. When that very thing is first leaning into the promise that you have come with me have life and have it more than we ever imagined. And then, Lord, leaning into the promise that you will send one, that the Holy Spirit will come upon us. That Holy Spirit coming on the day of Pentecost evens the ground out for everybody. Lord, being a part of a, a group that first time ever, everybody was equal. What a great promise. That your sons and daughters will prophesy a promise. Wow, Lord, the promises. But Lord, let us be a people who make big promises. And sometimes maybe fall short of those promises, but it wasn't because we weren't trying to live into them for your glory and the betterment of other people. We're not perfect. We're not immovable like you would be. Your standard, your nature is rock solid. Ours is not, Lord, but we want to become more like you. So today we come as we come to the time around your table with your people. Just taking a deep breath to remember receiving that great promise. It washes over us. But that we're still enough to begin to see things in our life that need to be laid down that can't go on this journey as you stretch us, as you want to take our tent and stretch it out to drive the stakes deep because you're asking us to make room for others, to make room for you to make room for big promises directed by your spirit. Lord, help us now as we come again around your table. We love you. And that great promise that someday we give praise to the one that every knee shall bow to, every tongue shall confess to, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Would you stand with me? We're going to close around the communion table today.
And just logistically, if you're here for the first time, if you would come down, everybody will come down these aisles and return back to your seat, whichever way, but just come down and make around the same way this way. And then when you're, we're going to be led in song here. But when you're comfortable, go ahead and partake on your own, the bread and the juice. Remember. In Isaiah 53, what was fulfilled on your behalf. Amen. Come as you feel led.